Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2, while you're finding your place, let me just remind you where we've been in the book of Philippians in chapter 1. You remember we looked at verses 1 to 8 and, of course, uh, considered fond memories of a faithful church. Verses 9 through 11 of that chapter, we saw where uh, Paul, uh, we saw Paul's prayer for the believers at Philippi. Verses 12 to 19, you remember there were the things that happened unto Paul, and so we talked about the things that happened unto us. Verse number 20 of chapter 1, we talked about Paul's faith in brief. Verses 21 to 26 of chapter 1, you will, will remember that uh, we talked about um, uh, 21 to 26, Paul's quandary with life and death, but he got that issue settled. He talked about how Christians should behave, chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. When we moved into chapter number 2, you remember verses 1 to 4, he dealt with a sweet fellowship. He gave us the blessings of a sweet fellowship, the ingredients for a sweet fellowship, and the poison, the poison that can spoil a sweet fellowship. We notice in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Jesus Christ is Lord. We noticed Christ's deity, his humanity, and his glory. And then our last look, we looked at verses 12 and 13. We looked at the outworkings and the inworkings of the believer's life. Verses 14 to 16 now, chapter number 2. The Bible says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I want to speak under three headings, if the Lord be our helper. I'm interested in how that Paul mentions in verse number 14, that we are to be light in a world of darkness. In verse number 15, we are, con we are to conduct ourselves appropriately, in other words, as a Christian, uh, in a world of darkness. And then in verse number 16, uh, we are to share the word of God continually uh, in this world of darkness as long as we live here. We're to be people of the word. You know the little children's song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Let It Shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Well, you'll find in verse number 15 that he says in verse number 15 that we are to shine as lights. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 5, verses 14 to 16, about how that we are to be light. We are light, and we're not to put our light out, not to dampen our light, right? You remember the verses? I'll read them in our hearing. In Matthew chapter number 5, verses 14, 15, and 16, the Lord said, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, Cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on the candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Then he went on and he said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Notice the phrase there. We are to shine as lights in verse number 15. This word light is descriptive of a star, a star that shines on a dark, on a dark night. And that's the idea that the Lord told in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, just as sure, now tonight it's cloudy, it's rainy, it's supposed to be a little stormy, then everything's supposed to move out of here before sunup in the morning. So you probably won't walk out tonight and see the stars or the constellations. Probably won't even see the moon tonight, right? Uh, but uh, on, a, on a clear night, just as sure as you see the stars, and the stars, that's part of the firmament of the Lord, and the stars give glory to the Lord, then, beloved, the same way we are to let our light shine and bring honor and glory to the Lord uh, as well. Now, most believe that this is a reference. When he says that we're to shine as lights, most believe this is a reference 
that uh, Paul is quoting from Daniel chapter number 12. Now, you know as well as I that Paul was a master of the scriptures, right? Certainly he was, and he would have been familiar with the book of Daniel. Uh, some two years ago, maybe more, uh, I said something to Brother Jay. He said something to me. We were talking about where we were, where I was preaching, where he was teaching in Sunday school. And we had on our hearts at that time, perhaps moving me to the tabernacle and him to the Ten Commandments. And we thought about doing that. We were talking here about two to three months ago, I guess it was. And he asked me, he said, have you still got the tabernacle on your heart? And I said, well, I don't know. Being as we're going through Revelation on Sundays, I kind of am looking toward the book of Daniel. Uh, while we're in prophecy, I've been looking toward that. And I don't know that that's where we'll preach. Whenever we get through, we'll just see how you ladies are behaving or are not behaving. Then that will determine where we're going to preach on Sundays when we finish with Revelation here in two or three months or however long it is. But listen to Daniel 12 and verse number 3. The Bible says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Again, Paul writes here in verse number 15, that we're to shine as lights, as luminaries, as reflectors of the light uh, that the Lord is. And he is light, beloved. In him is no darkness at all. There's neither any shadow of turning in him. Uh, you, may, you may get up in the morning and go through the day victorious, and then you may say, preacher, pray for me on Friday, because you may have said, uh, by then, look, I gave in to temptation. I have failed. But I'll promise you there is no shadow of turning in the Lord. He is light and in him is no darkness at all, James said. Don't ever forget that. Look at verse number 15 again. We're to be light. Here's our first heading. We're to be light in a world of darkness. He says in verse 15, we're to shine as lights in the world. In, in, in other words, where we live, that's where we are to shine, uh, right to where we live. And again, the, the word picture for this is a star on a dark night. Now, now look, there are many deductions you can uh, you can uh, uh, you can get from this just this one phrase, but two of which I want to say something about right here. Number one, we are light and we are to be light. Number two, we live in a dark world. Let me say let me say two or three things about this world. And I'll give you some verses for this, then we're going to move to our second thought here. But this world is a dark world that we live in. Men walk in darkness. This world in which we live. Sometimes you hear reports. We were talking about the news and bad reports. How that we get that about every day anymore, even from the local news. And you wonder why people persist in what they're doing. They're blinded, friend. The Bible says they've been blinded by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 4. And, beloved, they're walking in darkness. And a man that's walking in darkness, you can't convince him of anything unless it be through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit help you to do so. But the Bible gives evidence to this being a dark world. Listen to three verses of Scripture. Ephesians six twelve. the Bible says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, listen to this, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In Acts chapter 26 and verse number 18, the Bible says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus after he told him, you must be born again. And you remember we have that, uh, those verses, uh, John 3, 16 and 17. Then down in verse number 19, he said, and this is the condemnation, 
that light came uh, that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil you, you see beloved jesus said that uh, and his word teaches us that men walk in darkness and love for it to be so they enjoy the deeds of darkness they enjoy the deeds of the flesh the pleasures of sin and they do find pleasure in sin this world in which we live is a dark world number 2 this world in which we live is a depraved world Look back with me at verse 15. Verse 15 says that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, watch this, without rebuke, in the midst of what? He says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. A lot of times somebody will say, well, you know, if I didn't have to put up with what I have to put up with on that upholster line, um, it's just a different day, somebody will say. Well, if you look at what Paul dealt with when he dealt with the church at Corinth, just the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians, beloved, the problems that we have today, they've been around. They've been around a mighty long time, ever since man's been around. The problems of this world have been around. There's been sin in this world ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But notice verse number 15, the, world's, uh, the Bible speaks here of the world as being a crooked and perverse nation. Uh, that word crooked means something that is bent, something that is bent. Brother Roger mentioned his uh, five surgeries, his five back surgeries. And most of you uh, are mindful that last year, Harry, my stepdad, he had two surgeries that opened him up from the front and went in and rebuilt some uh, on his front. And, uh, and then uh, four days later, they turned him over and they rebuilt him from right up here all the way down. As a matter of fact, if you saw the x-rays when we go up to Dr. Decipher's office, He's with Sims Murphy, the surgeon that actually did the surgery. It looks impressive. The hardware looks impressive. He always shows us the before and after every time we go. We've got another appointment with him next month, and I guarantee you, he'll show us the progression of his back and that's healing when we get there next month. But he has scoliosis, and he said that about all his life. And if you'd have seen his back, I heard him talk about it, heard my mom talk about it uh, over the years, but I've never seen an x-ray of his back. Uh, he, he didn't have the natural curvature to his back, but his back would come down his spine. It was straight up and down, which that alone leaves you in pain and discomfort. But then it was almost a near full half moon. It, it moved to his left and come back around. And what Dr. DeCypher did is he took that scoliosis, that curvature, that, that crooked place in his back, and he straightened it up. And then he gave him his natural curvature, both at the bottom and top of his spine, got him out of his pain. Now, he had a lot of pain to go through. Brother Roger, you could testify to that. After the surgery, he said to be careful, still has to be careful. But you see this word, this word crooked, it's the same word that we get the word scoliosis from. It means something that is out of line. That's the idea of this word uh, crooked. It speaks of that which is not straight. Now, a first grader can tell you that crooked means that. But in particularly, uh, it's talking about this world. This world does not think straight. Uh, this world does not act straight. It does not walk straight. It does not live straight according to what the word of God uh, would have uh, this world to walk in. It, the, the world doesn't do that. It characterizes a lifestyle that is crooked, a lifestyle that is crooked. Let me give you some things, and I rarely give any statistics or anything like that. But I was going back through some old notes. Here's some statistics from 1960 to 2000 in the United States. From 1960 to the year 2000. That's four decades, four 40 years of time. 
there was a 556 or 560% increase in violent crime in America between 1960 and the year 2000. There was a more than 400% increase in illegitimate births. There was a quadrupling in divorce. There was a tripling of the percentage of children living in single-parent homes. There was a, a more than 200% increase in teenage suicide. That's just between 1960 and 2000. In the United States, the, we lead the world in rape, in, in convictions for rape, for murder, and for violent crime. We got more Bibles in America. And yet, by the way, I'm going to give you just two or three things about our teens and young people. Did you know if you were to read George Barna, and I don't read him, but about once or twice a year, but he does these surveys and, and things, and you can go online and you can register and answer. George Barna's a research group. He has a research group. He says that children that go to church are almost at the same rate committing sin that people uh, of children that are not at church. Listen to this. Every day in, in, every day in the United States of America, uh, on average, 2,055 teenage girls get pregnant in America. In 2013, it was estimated that one-fourth of teenage pregnancies ended in abortion. Most boys, before getting out of middle, sc- middle school, has viewed pornography many times. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among teenagers. More than 1.5 million children and adolescents run away in America. Many of them get caught up in the sex traffic uh, that's out there. Now, you think that's not bad? Did you know that HIV and sexually transmitted diseases are increased at alarming rate every day in America among the teens and the early 20s uh, of, um, uh, that are citizens of the United States of America? You see, a lot of these have no morals, no principles, no scruples, no, uh, there's no standard in their life. And as a result, they're walking, they're not walking straight. The Bible says here, they're walking crooked, beloved. They're not walking straight. The world walks a crooked path. And again, they love to have it so. Now, this world is a dark world. It's a depraved world. Number three, it is a distorted world. We take that, that from the word perverse. Look at verse 15. Notice the word perverse. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. Here it is. He says you're to live like this in the midst of, in the middle of, a crooked, here it is, and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. A crooked and perverse nation. In other words, a, um, um, uh, a, a distorted world, a distorted world. This word perverse means perverted, distorted, twisted, or Warped. When we talk about crooked, that's the world's activities. When you talk about perverse, that's their attitude. That's their dis- disposition. I was listening to, I can't call her name right now. Uh, I can see her face. Uh, she's one of the liberal commentaries, uh, commentators on Fox News. Somebody said here recently, said, you get saved, you watch Fox News, and you buy a gun. Amen? And um, I can see her face right now. And... Um, but they were talking about women's rights. I want to say something about, about perverse and that being an attitude that we see around about us every day in America. I want, to, I want to mention it in two areas. Number one, in the area of abortion, which is murder. It's, it's murder. And secondly is homosexuality, which is sodomy. It's sodomy. And I want to say something about that here in just a second. Did I turn that on? I didn't even twitch my ear, did I? It's already on. I'm going to show you a picture of a little boy here in a minute that I gave you, um, I, I gave you some comments about after I got back from Bakersville, North Carolina. 
back in, uh, back in November. I'm going to show you a picture of a little boy here in just a little bit. But I want to say something about abortion. Isn't it amazing? People say that it's a woman's right. It, it's a woman's right. It doesn't matter what's on the inside of her body. She has the right to murder that child. I think the rights ought to back up if you don't want a child to before you get pregnant. Understand there's rape and incest and a number of other things, but still God has to say live for there to be alive. God has to say live, and every child has purpose. Every baby has purpose. I don't care the color of their skin. I don't care if they've got red hair or black hair or brown hair, blonde hair. Every child is precious Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And Christ died for every one of them. He loves every one of them, and we should love every one of them. But abortion, you know our go-to verse, don't you? Jeremiah 1 and verse number 5. Here's what God said to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. He said, I knew who you were for your mama knew who you was. I knew who you was. Before your daddy knew who you was. Before they come out. Before they come out of the birthing chamber and said, there's a man-child born, he said, Jeremiah, I was looking at you down through, the, down through the tunnel of time. He said, you were no accident, Jeremiah. You were born. I formed you. I formed you, Jeremiah. He said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Isn't it amazing our society gets more upset about killing a spotted owl or a red-tailed hawk or cutting down certain trees than they do of murdering a child from the womb? You couldn't imagine going over there and taking from this mom that precious bundle of joy, could you? What's the difference in taking it from the womb and taking it from the arms? Did you know that in America, all over America, you could take a 9 millimeter? You could take an expectant mother's life from her with that handgun. You would get charged with two homicides. Did you know that? Because you murdered the mom and that baby, that baby was living on the inside of that womb. Isn't it amazing how the Lord hides that baby from this world for nine months? Forty weeks to be technical, right? Uh, uh, for nine months, hides. Uh, don't you know that we ought to hide those babies? Uh, from these doctors that are committing abortion and murdering these babies? Have you ever read about the processes and, and heard the testimonies of some that have survived abortions and how they can't seem to get over it? There's a, there's a lady right here in northeast Mississippi belongs to a good Baptist church. She's been there for years and years and years. Before she was saved, she had an abortion. And since getting saved and learning to forgive herself, she found forgiveness in Christ. And she's a lady a little older than, than Amanda and me. Of course, Amanda's a lot older than I am. But uh, she has helped a lot of young ladies. They don't flock to her in droves, but a handful of us knows who she is. And if she's ever needed, she's willing. She's willing to sit on a church pew in this church or any church and try to help a young lady uh, reconcile that Christ does forgive the sinner of their sins, no matter what that is, no matter what that is. But this business of, of uh, when he uses this word perverse, it means perverted, distorted. Twisted and warped. You remember when I came back from, uh, from those meetings in October and, and uh, November, the last one was there in Bakersfield, and I told you about a little fellow by the name of Isaiah Jeremiah Googe. Uh, put Can you pull that picture up, please? That's me. Get that 
You see the little fellow right there, about 10 years old. You see him? His daddy, you remember we told you his daddy, the doctor and the lead nurse called him stupid. Said the baby's going to die. Called the mama stupid. Said the baby's going to die. We can't see any signs of kidneys. He'll have clubs if he has hands. Be no fingers. If he makes it to life outside the womb, it'll be for a few minutes. They called him stupid. Said you're going to let your wife die. And that was repeatedly they were talked down to. Uh, Miss Tracy, the wife, this is the daddy. This is David Gooch. His wife's name's Miss Tracy. This is little Isaiah Jeremiah Gooch. He's got two kidneys. He's got 10 fingers. He's got 10 toes. As a matter of fact, he's just as healthy as the wilder boys tonight. Got through preaching on Sunday night, and he did what some of these little ones around here does at the end of the meeting. He come walking up. He had drawn me in the pulpit and had written my text over here to the side and drawn the background of his church. It's a small type of maybe a building of sorts, but he had drawn that, and I cherish that to this day. I heard his daddy give the testimony of how that they told the doctor and the lead nurse repeatedly, repeatedly, our faith will not allow us to murder our unborn child. And I'm telling you, God bless their faith. Thank you for I guess I need to turn that back off. But uh, abortion is still murder, beloved. Not only abortion, but homosexuality. Listen to the Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 Webster Dictionary, how it defines sodomy. It defines sodomy as a crime against nature. Now, you'd be surprised how many messages I get on how a parent, the last, last was parents, a set of parents over in Alabama, the Red Bay area. I've preached in their church a number of times over the years. And they've got a son who come home claiming to be an atheist. And homosexual. And he don't want to talk about it. He just claims that that's what he is. And that God made him that way. You'll never convince me that God made him that way. We had to rework our house in 1996 due to lightning running in. And there was a fire in the home. Terry Steele and uh, Mike Underwood uh, helped us to rewire the house. Um, we didn't have a central unit in the house. It was about a 2,200-square-foot house. We had to strip the walls, take the inside cover, and spray, spray the whole thing with kilts, rewire it. And where, where we had put 110 outlets, they wired it up as such. Where we had 220 outlets, there were a couple of those. We had 220 air conditioners in, in, uh, in windows. They wired it for a 220. They didn't cross-wire anything. God never wired a man up to be a woman. He never wired a woman up to be a man. And somebody may say that they're uh, captured in that body, whatever it is. Listen, God made you the way God made you. I know of a situation where in the state of Texas, there's a young lady that's already begun the processes of surgeries and hormone shots to become a young man. And she's broke her mom and her dad and her grandparents' hearts. And beloved, let me tell you what I believe it is. I believe it's sheer rebellion against the God that made her. And I hope she gets saved. You said you believe they can get saved. If they haven't gone too far, sure they can be saved. What does the Bible say about sodomy? I'm going to have to give you this in a hurry. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, the Bible says that uh, it is an abomination. It means God detests it. it. makes him sick. In Leviticus 20, verse number 13, in Romans 1, verse number 32, it bore the death penalty under the old Leverite law, the old Levitical law. In Leviticus 18, 25, did you know that sodomy defiles a land 
I wonder what God thinks of the United States of America. Because the Bible says it defiles the land. I'm telling you, you we are to shine as lights in a crooked and perverse uh, nation uh, among a people that think like this. You say something about it, and I'll promise you somebody will call you out and try to embarrass you over it. According to Romans chapter number 1, verses 26 through 28, it's a product of an unthankful heart, of a morally defiled mind, according to the Word of God. Let me tell you something you ought to come out of the bed doing every morning. You ought to come out of the bed thanking God for another day of life. When we get to the place that we are unthankful people, even as God's people, we're, we're treading uh, thin ice with the Lord. And, uh, but nevertheless, you'll find that uh, it's worthy of the judgment of eternal fire, Jude 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to show you something right here. Can they be saved? Can, can, a, can a homosexual, can a sodomite, can they be saved? If they haven't crossed the line, they can be saved. If God hasn't given them over to a reprobate mind, they can be saved. I was preaching out of Luke 16, 19 to 31 at Unity Baptist Church up at Ripley where Brother Barefield's been for about 40 years now and preached on hell. Just That's a simple title. And God touched the service that day. And I'm telling you, there's a young man got on this side of the pulpit and got saved. And over the course of the next little while, he told Brother Ronnie things that make you blush tonight. I'm telling you, and it all started with pornography. That's where it started. And it got a little more warped and a little more bent and a little more crooked and a little more perverse. But it started with, in high school, viewing pornography with his buddies. Young men and young ladies, beware. There's a trap. The devil will say, and once you see things, you can't unsee them. The only thing you can do is if you are saved, uh, seek cleansing and forgiveness from God and then renew the mind daily, right? Romans 12 verses, renew the mind. You say, how do you do that? You read your Bible, you pray, you come to church, you fellowship with believers of like faith. Isn't that right? You renew the mind, you build another history. You walk a little farther. You walk away from that stuff. You remove the temptation. And uh, so and watch this, 1 Corinthians 6. I told you about Paul walking amongst such. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? You say, what does that mean? It means just what it says. You must be forgiven to go to heaven, right? That ain't all it takes to get to heaven. You've also got to be declared righteous. And that's found only in Christ. Watch what he says. He says, Be not deceived. Watch, he's going to go through this long list. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. You know what that would be? That's a young man that dresses like a young woman. That's a young man who has womanly or ladylike ways. That's in the Bible. You read your Bible, don't you? That's in the Bible. Nor effeminate. Watch this. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That's where we're talking about right now. Watch what he goes on to say. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Watch what he says to the church of Corinth. He said, and such were some of you. Aren't you thankful for forgiveness tonight? Aren't you grateful that a man can be saved and a woman can be saved and a young young person can be saved? Watch what he says. He says, and such were some of you. He said, but you're washed. But you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, let's go back to Philippians chapter number 2. Let me try to shift gears right here. 
Uh, we're to be light in a dark world. Notice with me, if you will, I want to I go just a little bit farther. We are to conduct ourselves appropriately in this world of darkness. In other words, we're to conduct ourselves as, as Christians. We name the name of Christ. We're to behave as such. What's verse 14 and 15? He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Our conduct's to be different. Just as sure as, as a star shines bright in the dark night sky, so you and I are to shine bright, uh, whether it be at the workplace, in the home, in the church, in the community, on a ball court, wherever it would be, uh, we are to do that. There's a conduct, there's a lifestyle that he talks about here that is harmful to the cause of Christ. Watch what he says. He says that you be not blameless. After he writes in verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. He says that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, he said this uh, on one occasion. He said, I would be a Christian were it not for Christians. He had lived in a Christian home when studying the religions of the world, was impressed with the philosophies, the teachings of Christianity. But he was not impressed with those that he stayed with. He was not impressed. It was their murmurings. It was their murmurings that turned him away from Christianity. Robert Ingersoll, the noted infidel, uh, he was noted for his attacks on Christianity and the Bible. He had a godly aunt, and he once sent her a copy of one of his books against the Bible, and in the flyleaf of that book that he sent to his aunt, this is what he wrote. Ingersoll wrote this. He wrote, if all Christians had lived like Aunt Sarah, perhaps this book would never have been written. God help us. Um, sometimes folk can't hear what we're saying. We're seeing how we live it. The best sermon that anybody can get is one lived out before them. One lived out before them. Now notice he, he writes here in verse number 14, he writes, do all things without murmurings and disputings. This word murmurings, the idea is to hum or to hiss or to buzz. The idea of it is the cooing of a dove. This word murmurings, it, it came to mean grumbling complaining and muttering and it describes petty dialogue petty dialogue someone said that the lord created everything in six days he rested on the seventh day and opened up the complaint department on the eighth day the eighth day there was a fella i come across this illustration it kind of fits here there's a fella he was always complaining and he inherited from his mom and his dad, his mom and dad's estate, after the death of his last parent. And it was a farm. He thought there would be more money in the bank. He complained about that. He thought there was more acreage to the farm. He complained about that. The house needed some repair. He complained about that. And after they got all that sorted out, he wanted to put a sign at the road. He asked his wife, said, what do you think we ought to name the farm? She said, knowing you the way I know you, why don't we name it Belly Acres? There's a lot of Baptists that way. God forbid. God forbid there's not a spiritual gift known as the gift of complaint. 
That's not a spiritual gift. Listen, this word murmurings, listen to what J. Dwight Pentecost, um, some of us are familiar with the work that Pentecost has on, um, on the last things. It, it is a standard on the doctrine of eschatology in a lot of Baptist Bible college. You'll have to go through that book to get through most Bible colleges in America. J. Dwight Pentecost is greatly respected even to this day, though he's with the Lord. He was trying to define this word murmurings and complaining. He defined the word as an outward expression of an inner lawlessness and rebellion that shakes the fist in the face of God and repudiates his right to rule, that questions his love and his wisdom. I want to show you something. Turn to Exodus chapter number 16, verses 7 and 8. I started to go through a longer list than what I'm going to give you, but as you, I want you to look here at two verses of Scripture that will back up what Dwight Pentecost had to say about murmurings and his definition of it. Now, you remember the Israelites were known for their murmurings as they journeyed across the wilderness floor. Exodus 14, verses 10, 11, and 12. They murmured at the Red Sea when they saw Pharaoh and the Egyptians coming in their chariots. Exodus 15, 24, they murmured at Marah when they found the water to be bitter. Exodus 16, verse number 3, they murmured in the wilderness when they had no food. Exodus 17, 3, they murmured at Rephidim where there was no water. At Numbers 14, 2, they murmured at Kadesh Barnea when the spies come back and said there's giants in the land. They murmured about that. And what you would like to read is that they rejoiced. They rejoiced. And they rejoiced 10 to 1 to their complaint. But you never read about that. You never read about that. I've sat down with people before. I'm going I'm to read these two verses. But I have sat down on occasions with people before over the years that would have complaints and would begin to list those and catalog them. And then I would ask, what are you thankful for? Are you thankful for anything? We don't want to get sideways like this world. Never want to get sideways like this world. I quoted from Daniel Webster's definition a little bit ago from his dictionary. Daniel Webster, this is interesting. Um, How many of you get in spots where you run upon somebody and you can't remember who they are or where you met them? Daniel Webster had a little formula. He'd use a technique. This is what he would do. He would ask, how's the old complaint going? And said nine out of ten over the years would say, let's go in like this and we're still upset about what they had complained about then he remembered where he met them and what he had told them let me show you where your complaining is it's not against your preacher it's not against the missionary it's not against a singing group it's not against the deacon it's not against anybody let me show you where your complaint is let me show you where your complaint is watch this exodus 16 verses 7 and 8 and in the morning then you shall see the glory of the lord For that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that you murmur against us? And Moses said, this shall be. When the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord. I want to tell you something. Um. God, and I won't walk this down very far. God allowed you to be born in the part of the world that you were born in, to the folk that you were born to. Allowed you to be raised in the deep south, in the south, and allowed you to hear the gospel. 
and allowed you to be a part of this church and blessed you with a good family, who are we to complain? Now, that does not mean we, we are to be taken advantage of and let that go. Notice he mentions murmurings back over in our text now, Philippians chapter number 2. He also mentions disputings. Disputings. That's somebody that's always in uh, argumentative, debating. That's the idea of disputings, means debatings. Somebody who is doubtful, somebody that's always putting a question mark. I call them the yeah butters. That repels people. Do you know anybody that's always bitter? The bitterest man I ever met in my life. I'm, I'm seeing his face in my mind right now. I hated to see him coming. I was at the church that he visited for a span of time for over six years. He didn't come, but for about a year and a half. And I wasn't glad to see him not coming anymore. Trust me. But I'm going to tell you, he just ruined the whole service. Mad. He'd lost a leg. He's mad at that. Mad at the doctors. Mad at his wife. Mad at our church. Mad. And you say, what'd you do? I put it back on him a time or two. I told him you ought to be thankful. You know what we could do tonight? We could start thanking God, and we wouldn't near give him his due if we were still here at sunup in the morning. I have nothing to complain about. If that brother can do what he has done for decades and spend himself and wear himself out, what have I to complain about? If God had to let me to myself, I'd have died and gone to hell. But he sent a group of people love me. There's a preacher preached the gospel to me. And I came to Christ, and Christ received me on the terms of the gospel. What do I have to complain about? Listen, God's been good to me. I think about old Brother Milford Biddle right now. I remember him getting wound up preaching on the church years ago. And, man, he got so wound up, he got to throwing his arms and kicking his legs, talking about how good God been to him and how good the church been to him. He popped himself right there. He said, this suit I got on was given to me by God's people. He pointed his shoes, said, these shoes I'm wearing was given to me by God's people. He said, this shirt and this tie, given to me by God's people. And got talking about the house he lived in and the car that he drove and, and the food that he ate and, and the fact that he's saved by the grace of God beyond all that. He said, God's been good to me. God's been good to us. God's been good to us. Let me say this, and I've got to move on for time's sake. People go to hell because they reject Christ, but now listen to me. If I understand accountability of God's people, there's some people going to go to hell because of those, some of those that's going to heaven. That's sad. That's very sad. Notice there's a conduct, there's a lifestyle, not only that is harmful, but it's helpful. Helpful to the cause of Christ. Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here he says we're to be blameless and harmless. He didn't say sinless, did he? But he did say blameless. That means above reproach. Paul had all kind of complaints on him. Everybody threw mud on him, didn't like him. And you'll have some of that along the way. But don't ever live in such a way that the mud can stick. Live above reproach. Somebody said if you live above sin, you'll have to rent your room above the pool hall. And certainly that's so. But there are just some scandals you'll never get caught up in. You'll never be a part of. Somebody said that Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. 
And that is the truth, isn't it? He uses this word harmless, which speaks of that which is pure, that which is unmixed. It speaks of somebody that's not a hypocrite. He he says here that we are to live a life, and I'm skipping over some of this in verse 15, live a life without rebuke, without rebuke. Our life's to be different. We're to be like the stars, shining bright on a dark night. And that's what we're to be in this dark world. Someone asked the question, I haven't thought of this in a long time. Somebody asked the question, that if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There should be. There should be. There should be. Someone else has said this. We're to live blameless. We're to live harmless without rebuke. Someone said people may doubt what you say. But if you'll live consistently, they'll always believe what you do. They'll always believe what you do. Ernest Guest wrote these words. Let me read them. Make a couple of statements. About verse 16, I'm done. Ernest Guest wrote these words. He wrote, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes are better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you may deliver may be wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may understand you in the advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. F.G. Tudor, you've heard me mention him, haven't you? I was working two or three days on the job at Action Industries years ago, and I turned to James Hollings, and I said, that man's got to be a Christian. And he said, he is. He's a member of Cary Springs Baptist Church down there, but he said he's real. He's a Christian. Do people say that about you? They're supposed to. Verse 16, I'm done. He says, holding forth the word of life. We are to share the word of God continually while in this world of darkness. Verse 16, he says, holding forth the word of life. Now, this, these words, holding forth, comes from one word. Used to speak of the Greeks as they would offer wine to a God. Holding forth. In other words, to present. Watch what he says. Holding forth. To present. Holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. We're to live the word of God every day of our life. He mentions this word labor. And then he says that we have not run in vain. That means to, he said we've not run in emptiness nor toward emptiness. We're to leave a mark. We're to leave an impression upon lost people around us. Not just to the lost, but your brothers and sisters in Christ may be struggling. If you'll be consistent and faithful, God will use your testimony. You ever get in somebody's presence that knows God and loves God and they pull you Christward? I know some people like that. Just being in the presence will help you. J. Allen Blair, I'm reading him on um, reading him on the book of Philippians. He was a devotional writer from not that many years ago. He was telling about being in Atlantic City many years ago for the first time, and he took his daughter on 
boardwalk, the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And said they noticed just about a block away there was uh, there were some pigeons that was hovering just about head high. Of course, it captured their attention. They'd never seen anything like that. And the closer they got, they realized that those people were reaching into a bag and holding something out for those pigeons to eat, and they were tame enough that they were landing on the men and women, landing in their hands and eating from their hands. He said, so we got up there and said, it tickled my daughter. And so said, we held our hands out, but they were empty. He said, the pigeons said they landed on the hands, but they soon left and went somewhere where they could land and find something to feast on. May God help us as a church to not have an empty hand, but to be real, to have some substance, to have some life. May the fruit of the Spirit be the fruit that's found in your life and in mine. Let's stand. I've got to quit. I've got to quit.